You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, I just pray that the word that you penned for us uh, 2,000, 2,500 years ago, this this book that we're going to start today, um, that it would just be fresh. It's familiar to some of us, maybe even stale, but I pray that you would just give it life anew by your spirit for your church. Lord, there are struggles all through this room. Um, There's chaos and there is brokenness, and that's because we live in a fallen world that we have rebelled, that we, in Adam, chose to disobey you, but you have redeemed us, you have rescued us, the stone has been rolled away, and so now we have hope, and we know that one day our Messiah, our King, will return, and so we long for him, we wait for him. Until then, may we be found faithful. Until then, may we be a church that's following and loving you. Um, I just pray that you would help me speak clearly. Um, I, ha- I tend to, to ramble and I tend to add my own ideas and thoughts. And so I just pray that you would speak through me. And most importantly, Lord, let me hear the words because I need them. Because um, I am broken and sinful and rebellious like, like we all are. And so just fill me with your spirit. And I pray we'll have a great celebration of baptism. What an exciting time as a church, just to see those come forward uh, to profess their faith in your son. And so we're excited about that as well. Be glorified in all we do. In Christ's name, amen. (laughs) Thanks, you guys can have a seat. One of the most challenging times in in our family's life, we were five or six years in the, no, five five or six years in the marriage, and we had to move to Dallas, Texas for seminary. And it wasn't the seminary that made it so challenging it was the fact that we were living in the place where the cowboys are adored and loved. I mean, everywhere you looked, it was cowboy fans. Every radio station, cowboy fans. Every, I even, the fitness center I worked out at was called the Tom Landry Fitness Center. You could not get away from these pagans. I was living in complete hostile territory. Um, and, and that idea actually forms the backdrop of this book where we are going to see individuals living in hostile territory and doing it successfully, right? They're they're going to be, there's a lot of tension, there is opposition, but they are going to be successful. And so we're going to spend the next nine weeks studying through the book of Daniel together. Uh, My book, it was written, it was written 2,500 years ago, right? But the same hostility and tension and opposition that he faced, look, we're facing it. We live in a time in, in our country where the, the, the hostility towards the things of God is at its highest point. Not highest in the world ever, but at least in our country. Where sin, what God has clearly called sin, is now celebrated and endorsed, and the things that God uh, values is mocked. Okay, that's, that's where we're living right now. It is a time of hostility. And so Daniel's going to have some, some things to say to us about how to live successfully in that context, all right? So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 today. And let me just tell you this. Over the next nine weeks, I know you're going to be in and out in the summer, so am I. You're going to see different guys up here different weeks. We, these little bookmarks are in the back. This is telling you what's coming up next week. I promise you, you will get more out of the sermon if you read ahead. Because some of these chapters are pretty lengthy. And so if you can be familiar with the text before you show up, that would be huge, right? Rather than just kind of like, yeah, I never heard this story before, right? So kind of read through it a couple times, even Sunday morning um, before you come, and it, I'm telling you, it'll, it'll, it'll be much more meaningful for you. So here's the plan for today. Like every time we go through and start a new book, 
And we'll be coming back to Luke, Lord willing, in the fall at least, if not the fall, the spring. But we're just taking a break for a little bit because you guys are looped out, uh, I can tell. So, um, but uh, we're going to, as usual, cover just the background issues of the book today a little bit, kind of give you the context. If you understand what's going on, where this fits in history and, 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 the, and all the you know, little pieces there, it'll help you understand the book. And then we're going to go through chapter one and we'll start seeing these men who live in Dallas and they're successful. All right, all right. So let's talk about the book, all right. the book of Daniel. Um, here is a. It, it breaks into like two major sections, and we've called this series "Kingdoms Collide," right? Kingdoms collide, and it's kind of a double meaning there. In one sense, you're going to see people who are living for the kingdom of God living in Babylon, and there's a collision, right? And there's this. There's this complete opposite direction these things are moving and so there's this collision of what God calls people to do and what the world is saying so there's a there's an idea there in the first six chapters where we'll see Daniel just work through his life in Babylon and the first six chapters are very historical it's mostly narrative it's just telling you the story your famous Daniel in the lion's den there's the fiery furnace there's you know Nebuchadnezzar looking like a you know animal like you know kind of if you never read it you'll, you'll get there in chapter four right okay but that's the first half. The second half of the book, 7 through 12, is prophetic. And it's the kingdoms of the world and what is going to happen. And some of that has already happened and some of that is yet to happen. But we're going to see some unbelievable prophecies that Daniel makes in chapter 7 through 12. They are so specific and so precise that critics of the Bible actually would say there is no way this was written in the 5th century B.C., this was written in the first century BC because these prophecies are so specific and so exact that no one could know that beforehand, right? That's how, that's how precise. In fact, there's actually one prophecy we'll see in chapter nine that actually to the day prophesies when Jesus is gonna show up in Jerusalem uh, for Palm Sunday. So precise. Okay, so, but, and rather than kind of give you 17 reasons why I believe it was written in the 5th century, by the way, let me just give you one that's enough for me. Jesus calls Daniel a prophet. He says, have you not read Daniel the prophet? Okay, that's all I need. He didn't say Daniel the historian, Daniel the writer. Is Daniel the prophet. That means Jesus believed he was a prophet. I believe he's a prophet. If you want to talk more about it, I can tell you. But that's all I need. Right, the words of Jesus. So that, that the book is two kind of sections. One through six is kind of the kingdoms of Babylon and the kingdoms of Israel colliding. And then the, the second half is the kingdoms of the world and ultimately with the final kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. When does this book fit? That's an important question, okay? Whenever you're studying any book of the Bible, especially Old Testament, you want to know when, what's going on. So I need you to put your, your thinking caps on. I know some of you are PE majors like me, so you struggle, right? So just for a few minutes... Put your thinking caps on because I want you to understand the whole, I want you to understand the whole Bible, but I especially want you to understand where this book fits. All right. When you, some of you struggle with the Old Testament and I get you, right? It, it's, it, it can be a wrestle because you don't understand how it's put together. It's not put together chronologically. Okay. It's not Genesis happened first, Malachi happened last and everything in between is in order. That's a little bit true, but your Old Testament is organized by the type of genre or liter of, of literature it is. So the first five books of the Bible are the law. All right? And then you have the history books, and then you have the poetic books, and then you have the prophets. That's how it's arranged. And there's some chronological order going on there. All the way through the historical books, it is chronological. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that's where God creates. You got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you have the nation of Israel. They go into Egypt, 
all right? And then we got Charlton Heston leading them out of Egypt in Exodus. And then the Leviticus numbers in Deuteronomy, you have the law that God says, if you obey me, you will be blessed. Your land will be a, a land flowing milk and honey. That's all chronological. Then you have the book of Judges. You got Samson and his long hair. You got all those great stories there. And then you got uh, the, the people want a king, and so God says, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And so we have the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles. That, that is chronological, all that. And you have all the kings of Israel. There's a bunch of them. Starts off with Saul. Then you got David. Then you got, then you got Solomon. And then you, you got all these different guys. Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Boam, 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 all these Boams. Jeconiah, Reconiah, all, all these guys. And, so, and that's where it gets confusing, right? Because you're like, oh, I don't know how that all fits together. That is all the history of Israel. If you go Genesis through the end of 2 Chronicles and then Ezra and Nehemiah, that's the history. And then you're like, well, why are there books afterwards, right? Because all those prophets and poetic books, they all fit somewhere in those books of Kings and Chronicles, all right? That, that's what's going on. See, it, what happened in 920 BC, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel splits. You got the Yankees and you got the Southerners, all right? It breaks from north-south. The Northerners, there was 10 tribes, the southerners, there's two, Judah and Benjamin, and they each have different kings. And God, the whole time when they're separate, is sending prophets, stop, do this, Isaiah, repent of this, and, and he keeps sending all these people, and eventually the Yankees, they have 19 kings, and there's not one good one. So in 722, God brings the nation of Assyria down, and boom, they go into exile. The southerners, they live in the Bible Belt, so they have 19 kings, and they have eight good ones, so they have actually some good kings like Asa and Josiah and Hezekiah and all these other guys. And some of these guys, they, they lead the nation well, but eventually they go into captivity too. And we're going to see that today. And there's this time where they are in an exile, right? And so when you see the prophets, what you have to ask the question is this. All right, go to the first slide if you got it. Because I'm hitting the button and nothing happening. It's not there? No, I had a chart. Is it under chart? What's that? God, I'll give you one minute. Anyway, they're going to get, I'm going to give them one minute. Ready? Okay, my chart basically showed you that when you're talking prophets, you got to understand if, where they are prophesying. You have what's called the pre-exilic prophets. That's pre means before, right? major, I get that, you get that, all right? So all those prophets were prophesying before the nation goes into exile. So you got Isaiah, Joel, Jeremiah, all these guys. Look at that. That was less than a minute. You guys get a dollar. All right. So all these guys are prophesying before the exile, right? Repent, 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 turn, turn, turn. Some of them prophesying to the northern kingdom, the Yankees, southern to the south. Then you have a couple prophets that go during the exile. There's our boy, Daniel, right? He's, he's prophesying during the exile of Israel, and then you have a couple guys that go after. We've studied to go back into the land, Haggai, right? You can get online and listen to them. These guys are after the, the Israelites go back into the land. Haggai is about building the temple, right? Malachi is about the greatness of God. And so understanding when helps you understand what's going on. And so Daniel, our boy, is prophesying during the exile, Israel is out of the land. Northern kingdom has been gone for a while, and the southern kingdom, he is a southerner, is, is going away today. And that's where we jump in, all right? So let's just jump right in and see what's going on, because I'm already almost out of time. Verse 1, 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Jehoiakim was a bad king. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, same land, by the way, where the Tower of Babel was built, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Okay, so you have Jehoiakim comes, is a king, he's a bad king, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, we're going to see a lot of him comes in, he besieges the city, he conquers the city in 605 BC, you can write that in kind of the side of your Bible, right, and he takes all the vessels of the temple gone, the candlestick that's in the temple, gone, the table of showbread, gone, the altar of incense, gone. This is the last time we see the Ark of the Covenant until Indiana Jones finds it. Okay, so this is a huge deal, and it's big. They take it, and they put it in the house of their God because it's their way of saying, our God is better than your God. We came into your town. We smoked you. Your God couldn't do anything about it, so we took his stuff away. It's like a trophy, right? But they didn't just take the articles of the temple away. They took people away, too. Verse 3, the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in, all, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So they take all the young studs, the royal families, the rich kids, the varsity team, the high SAT scores, that's who they're looking for because they're going to serve in the Babylonian uh, palace. And they're going to put them through a brainwashing internship, in essence, right? They're going to try to assimilate them from being Jewish men to Babylonian men. That is their goal, to change the way they think, to change their mind. This is what every evil empire does, by the way. This is what communism did. This is what Marxism did. This is what Mao Zedong did. They come in and try to change the worldview and change the way the young people think to make them Babylonian, all right? In verse 5, they assigned him a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated three years, an undergrad in essence. And at the end of time, they were to stand before the king. And among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Here's three, there's four men who were pulled apart. Now understand when I say men, these, are prob- these guys are probably 14 or 15 years old at this time. That's freshmen in high school, right? So you got your freshman sitting next to you, or you got a grandson that's a freshman, or granddaughter. That's the idea, young folks, four of them, right? And they are taken to Babylon, and they're given new names. Verse 7, the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And so this program of of assimilation and of brainwashing had four elements. Number one, you're going to relocate them. You're going to pull them away from everything they know. And the equivalent, y'all, would be someone coming in, for the North Koreans coming in and taking your high schoolers away back to their land. This is not like, oh, you'll be across the city, we'll come visit you. This is walking across the desert in chains, never seeing mom and dad again. Mom and dad may be dead. All right? So the, but it's a relocation from everything they know, from all the security and all the comfort and all those people they know. So relocate them. They re-educate them. 
all right? We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna teach you our literature, our language, our philosophies. We're gonna take Moses and Isaiah out of your hands and we're gonna put in your hands the Epic of Gilgamesh. We're gonna, we're gonna stop you from talking Hebrew so that you can no longer read those scriptures and we're gonna teach you our language, the Akkadian language, right? They're going to rename them they had good godly names, these guys. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious, right? Good godly names. What is God like is one of their names. God is my helper is one of their names. And they're gonna give them Babylonian names to honor Babylonian gods, right? So there's this ID crisis now, identity crisis. Who am I? And then fourthly, they give them a new diet. Right? So nice of the king. You get to eat from what the king's eating. You don't have to go down to the cafeteria, eat powdered eggs and, you know, junk. You get the real deal. But again, it was a, a brainwashing. They're, t- they're, they're cutting them off from the last thing that ties them to their, to their Hebrew culture, their, their dietary laws. That which God said makes them distinct, that which makes them holy to be separate unto him. Right? So complete brainwashing for these guys and for all of them. And they don't have a problem with the first three because Scripture doesn't have anything to say about getting a new job. Okay, getting a new job, great. Learning a new language, reading, reading books that are not Hebrew books, nothing problem there. Call me a new name, great. Call me a new name. All those things they couldn't control. But when it came to the dietary laws, that was something they could control. And they weren't going there. And there's a couple reasons why. Number one, the food was not kosher. It would have been not washed the way the Jews would have washed it. It wouldn't have been, they would have eaten things that they were not allowed to eat. That's one piece. But the bigger piece, understand, is that the food that the Babylonians ate would have been offered to Babylonian gods. It would have been laid on an altar. It would have been dedicated to that God. And in their culture, that would have been a way of fellowshipping with that God. This is the way you fellowship with that guy. You put the food on there, and he strengthens you through that food, and so you're honoring him by eating that food. And for a good Hebrew, there is no way, Jose, they're going to eat that and fellowship with a false god. Right? There is no way. And so Daniel and his boys say, uh, no. New name, fine. New language, fine. New job, fine. New house, fine. New food, not fine. Daniel resolved Circle that word, it's a big, great word. He, he made up his mind that he would not defile or dirty himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. He goes to the boss and says, hey, we, we, we don't, we don't want to eat that. We can't eat that. Right, in verse 9, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief said to Daniel, I fear the Lord, my king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age, so you endanger my head with the king? The guy says, hey, I like you boys. You're sweet. You're good kids. But look, if you start getting too thin and sickly and walking around, you're all gaunt, I'm going to die. And I'm not risking my neck for you boys as much as I like you. So what does Daniel do? Well, we tried, guys. Let's go eat some hot dogs now. No, he, remember, he is resolved. So he went to the CEO. Now he's going to go to the COO. So Daniel says to the steward, that's the guy under him, of the eunuchs that he had signed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, just test your servants for 10 days. Give us 10 days. 
Let us be given vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Just give us 10 days. Y'all, this, this is a gutsy move for a freshman in high school. I mean, there's no, pres- there's no Bible verse, by the way, that says if you eat this, God will bless you. This is, not, this is unprecedented territory. But what they are saying is we are going to trust God in something we don't even know what's going to happen, but we're going to put ourselves out there and see if he can come through. That's big for a ninth grader. That's big for a 90-year-old, right? It's huge. Faith for them is obedience despite the consequences, not knowing what the consequences are, right? What happens, right? And so what do they do? They go on the Daniel diet, right? You know the Daniel diet, every Christian bookstore in America, right? Somebody wrote a book um, because Christians will do anything to make a buck. And let me just tell you, um, this is not a diet. Like, I'm not anti-diet. Diets are great. Some of you need them. Well, let's just be honest, okay? And I'm not against eating healthy, okay? But this has nothing to do. I, I got on a, a page this week from the Daniel diet, and it, it basically, it, it said, it, it lied. It said, Daniel did this because he wanted to be healthy. That is not true. Daniel was not like, guys, if we eat this, our arteries, clogged. Of cholesterol through the roof. We can't do this, guys. We got to stay. That is not at the heart of what is going on here. All right? And if it was, by the way, if this is a diet, then I don't understand dieting. Because verse 14 says, at the end of 10 days, they were fatter. Isn't that the opposite of what's supposed to happen when you go on a diet? At the end of 10 days, it was seen they were better in appearance and fatter than all the use. So understand, this has nothing to do with, I need to be healthy, or I need to lose weight. This is a miracle. What has happened is they have put themselves out there, and God has honored it, and he has made them stronger, right? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has, has shown himself strong. That's what happened. Right? So go ahead and, and you know, eat veg. Don't make it out to be, well, you eat hot dogs. I do, and I enjoy them, and I glorify God with them, and don't judge me. <laughs> okay? You can eat your rabbit food and be happy and think you're spiritual. Acts 10. Go read it this week. <laughs> okay? But the idea here is they are sharper. So Stuart, he, he, after 10 days, he sees them. And so the four use God gives them learning, skill. Daniel has understanding and visions and dreams. We'll see this coming up. Verse 18, and at the end of time, three years is over, and they're brought in, and you can imagine the steward, right, and the chief, and they're all smug, and they're thinking, well, look at our boys over here, and they bring them in, and sir, the, uh, you know, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, sir, you know, program has worked exceptionally well. They've taken to their new names, you know, and at first they weren't answering when we called them. They kind of had to get used to them, but now they're, they're great, and test scores through the roof, and obviously you can see, you know, look at Abednego down there. Look at his biceps. He looks great. Doesn't he look great? Um, and he's just bringing them in. And the king speaks with them, and none of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king acquired of them, he found them ten times better. They stand head and shoulders above than all the magicians and the chanters. By the way, the, if you want to know who the magi were? 
Daniel was a magi. So when you get 500 years later, you want to know why uh, the, the wise men come to see Jesus? Because they had a guy who wrote about Jesus 500 years earlier. He was, he was one of those. That's, he's the head of them. He's going to be. Right? And then verse 20, uh, 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of the King Cyrus. This is a huge verse, by the way, because it, that's, this is like 70 years later. This is like decades later, guess who's still there? Beyond Babylon, by the way. King Cyrus is not a Babylonian anymore. There's a Media and a Persian Empire. That's what's going on. 70 years later, guess who's still there? Guess who's still living well in a hostile territory? Daniel. Right? Daniel is. Right. Huge for him. Huge for us. So, okay, what, is a, what does this have to do with us? 2,500 years later, what, what in the world, right? It's great stories. We'll get some good lion's den action. We'll get some good fiery furnace action, right? But really, what does it have to do with us? Let me tell you. The same world that was trying to conform and squeeze Daniel is trying to conform and squeeze you. This is why Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, so the same pressure and hostility and hatred towards God and do this, not that, it's still going on. There's still a kingdom collision going on, y'all. The kingdom of God is always going to be in opposition to the kingdom of this world. And the question is this, which, which track are you on? Right? And, and we are called to live well. Right? You are in Dallas. I get it. And it's hard. But you are still called to be faithful and live well. And so the question is how? Let me give you five thoughts just from this text. Um, and and I, I don't want this to read like a list. It's not like do this, this, because I, I, we love lists. But, but these are some big ideas that we're going to see throughout the book. And there's none more important than the first one. So if you get nothing else, grasp this first one. Everything else falls into place. Right? Because this is the, the main point of this book. Number one piece is that God is sovereign, so believe it. Okay, that God is sovereign and believe it. There's a real temptation for us because we grew up in Sunday school to read this book like a, a moralistic code. Daniel was good. Be good like Daniel and you'll never get burned, right? The lion will never eat you. It, 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 we do that all the time in Christianity because it's, it's good to see these models, but, but that is not the point of the book. Right? This is not a book about Daniel, ultimately. It is a book about God. And if Daniel was here, if he'd come out of heaven and be like, what are y'all, why are y'all talking about me? I know I look good because I've been eating vegetables. But he said, I wrote this book about God. Right? He is, remember, he is writing to people where? That are in exile. Okay, that's why he's writing it, to encourage them that God is sovereign, that, that, that God is actually winning, right? And it may seem like he's not, because this is the dark ages for Israel. This is the worst of the worst time. Things cannot get worse. Temple destroyed. People out of land. I mean, it, it is a, the worst of the worst, and you would think, oh, God must be off the throne. I mean, after all, his Ark of the Covenant is gone, and his tables are gone, and his altars. No one's worshiping in the temple. God must be losing, and what Daniel is writing is that, no, 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 he is actually winning and in control. He is still sovereign. And that, because that's, that's the temptation, right? When stuff stinks, when things are dark, 
When you get that call from the doctor, bad report. The boss says, downsize. You get broken, you get dumped. You have another miscarriage. You have a child that's wayward. You have a spouse that's disengaged or walks away. You got friends that abandon you. You're, you got money issues. Or you look around in the world and you see another terrorist attack in England yesterday. More Christians killed in Egypt last week. Truth mocked on every show and on every television. The things God values are devalued. God, are you in control? You seem to be losing big time. Just like LeBron's going to do tonight. You seem like you're losing big time. Right? What in the world? Do you even care? Are you even out there? And what Daniel is saying is not only does he care, that is he, he is in control. And he says it. I, I kind of went through it fast because it, it kind of is there, but you kind of miss it if you don't read it. He's, he said it right from the beginning. Look at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And what happened? And who gave? The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar won. It was that the Lord actually gave his people into his hands, that the Lord is actually behind the destruction of his own city. The Lord is the one who let him take the ark until Indy was going to find it. It wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar took it. Right? He gave it to him. Why? Because he is sovereign. Even over this, all all that's going on here is exactly what he had promised was going to happen in the Old Testament prophets. If you don't repent, I'm going to do this. And God did it. Why? Because he is sovereign. And he says the same thing in verse 9, that the Lord gave Daniel. This is the same Hebrew verb. Who, Who gave Daniel favor and compassion? God did. God is in control of how these boys are viewed by their bosses. In verse 17, who's the one who gave them wisdom and learning? It is the Lord gave. It's the same verb again. Gave them skill. Gave them all these things. Made them look fatter, uh, fatter, thicker, stronger. When they should have looked like, you know, Kenyan marathon runners after three years, they look like, you know, wrestlers. They're studs. That's a God thing because God is sovereign and he is in control, right? Huge. And, and I want you to understand that because this is not a book about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, CBC. Just be good. It is about the greatness, the power, the sovereignty of God. And that you can trust him even when it seems like you're losing, even when it seems like he's losing. I mean, if anyone should be bitter, it's this boy. I mean, he should be an angry teenager, shouldn't he? Ripped from his parents. Most commentaries, and I agree with him, believe that he was made a eunuch, which means he was castrated, which, that's bad. I'd be mad. Teenager mad, yeah. He's, he's loses, he loses everything. He's in a new place. His entire life when he's in Babylon, people are out to get him. People are out to trick him. People are of opposition to him. If anyone should be bitter, it's this guy. He's lost it all. And he is telling Israel, God is sovereign. And in the end of this book, what we're going to see is all these kingdoms and the nations are raging. But in the end... All the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ. And his kingdom shall rule forever and ever and ever. Because God is sovereign. And that's where he's going. And so you, living in Dallas, can trust him. 
And you living in Dallas can even worship him. In fact, he expects you to, even in the midst of hostility. In fact, there's a whole psalm, you can read it later, Psalm 137, that's written about this. Hey, you know, by the rivers of Babylon we wept. And it says that the, all the musicians hung up their instruments because everyone's depressed, but the writer says, but I will remember Jerusalem. And there's this worship in the midst of, of suffering, right? That's the biggest piece of this book. If you get nothing else, get this, that God is sovereign over every detail, even miscarriages, ripped away from your family, loss of a loved one, and that he is the true king. He is there. Got to get that one. All the others flow from that. Second point is this, and these are kind of, we'll bolt these off a little bit, is, is for us to, if we're going to live well in Dallas, we got to be committed. This, sadly, this freshman in high school has more commitment and conviction in his pinky than many of us. And we so, we so easily compromise, don't we? I mean, standards for the church in just so many areas is just non-existent. And so, if we're going to live well, you need to commit and, dis- and resolve yourself now. Choose now who you're going to be, right? Because this kind of resolution, it doesn't happen on a whim. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't all do that when the crisis comes. When the crisis is, is not going to create resolve, it's going to reveal what's in there, right? And so he is resolved no matter what and has all the reasons of the world not to be. He has all the reasons of the world to compromise. His parents are gone. They're not going to say anything. Everybody else that went there, all the teenagers, they all seem to be enjoying the food except for him and his boys. There's only four of them that abstain. You know all those Jewish boys are coming by at night eating ribs like, hey, man, you're missing out. You want some ribs? I would be. Right? Every reason. They could say, well, when in Babylon, do as Babylonians. They could say, well, you know, if God really cared about what we eat, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have put us here. But they are resolved. They're resolved. And we need to be a people of conviction, y'all. You need to be committed to what Christ has said and what we stand for so that when your boss comes to you and says, I want you to lie, I want you to lie, and I'll look out for you later, and I'll cover you, but I need you to lie on this, that you are going to choose now not to lie or to lie. You're going to keep your honor or you're going to lose your honor. But let me just tell you, okay, Especially men, it's not that women don't, but men especially, you are dead without your honor. You can live without food, you can live without water, but you can't live without honor. Because we're not going to let you starve. We'll put you on the Daniel diet, but we're not going to let you starve, right? Because you've got to choose whether you're going to do that or not. And even if you lose your job, and you may, you, at least you can look everybody in the eye because you kept your honor. Right? People of conviction. You got to figure out singles. If you're going to date like the world, or you're going to you're going to follow Christ, and you cannot do both. You're going to. I know there's going to be a point in time when everyone's like, "Why don't you guys just move in together? It makes so much more sense. You can save a thousand dollars a month." You got to choose now. How are you going to live? You going to honor God, or you're not. Your choice. But you got to choose. Right. You got, you got to choose now, teenagers, 
young singles that, that when someone's like, hey, it's, let's go to this see this movie or come over our house and, and, and this is showing and you know that that is gonna be harmful to your soul or you walk into the house, high schoolers, middle schoolers, and there's nothing good going on. You get the vapors over there, the dopers over there, the booze hounds over there. Well, I'm gonna be holy in the corner. No, you're not. You better choose now. And parents, you better have a conversation with your kids that if they walk into that environment that you give them some freedom to call you and you not be angry. That you will come and get them because you should be glad that they're calling you because they're gonna be scared like, oh my goodness, mom thinks I'm... You gotta give them that freedom. But you gotta choose now, high school, middle school, or even college student, what you're gonna do. Young folks, some of you just graduated. Congratulations, your parents are excited, right? But you gotta choose now that when you go off to Southern, North Georgia, North Carolina, UT, whatever, that you're gonna find a group of friends who love Jesus, who are gonna wake up on Sunday morning because mom's not there to wake you up, no mas. Right? Or are you gonna go join the frat and be a major in natty light? You better choose now. Because I'm telling you, if you don't resolve yourself now, I can tell you where you're gonna be. I'm, I'm just telling you. You wanna see your future, by the way, look at your friends. All right? You gotta choose now, parents, that Sunday morning is gonna be a priority for our family when we're in town. You gotta choose now what you're gonna do with your money that I'm gonna either give off the top to God and trust him with the rest or I'm gonna give him what's left at the end which is gonna be 20 bucks when I have it. You gotta choose, right? I'm just, and I could go down the line. I could keep going, right? But I'm not gonna preach anymore because I want everyone to be happy today because <laughs> we're baptizing folks. But we need to be a people of conviction, okay? And not just like, oh, I'm convicted that, I mean, what Scripture says I do. In the gray areas, you, you come to it. But where Scripture is clear, purity, drunkenness, greed, covetousness, that we are clear on who we are. Okay? That's who we are. That's how we live well in Dallas. Right? Because you can let the cowboys be pagans, because they are. All right. Next one. Real quick. Be civil. Just because you are in opposition does not mean you have to be a jerk. Don't you love that Daniel is respectful? It says that Daniel asked. I just find that remarkable. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't pompous. He didn't say, well, we ain't eating this food. We're Hebrews. He said, sir, could we please? And then he goes to the eunuch, just please test us. You don't have to be a jerk. And if you are a jerk, please go to another church. And I'm not even kidding. This is what, when we're nasty and harsh, this is what one of my professors, Howard Hendricks, used to call theological B.O., right? You can quote all the verses, but you're a jerk. Peter says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, right? That's what he says. The king would be your leaders. That's who we are. So be civil, right? Next one, be excellent. Sounds like a Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, doesn't it? I love it. Again, here's what I love. Verse 12, what does Daniel say? He says, test your servants. He says, watch us. Compare us. You just watch us and compare us to them, and you tell us what you see in the end. Right? We need to be a people who, te- who look out at the world and say, look at us. Look at the way I work. 
I show up on time. I don't leave early. I do my job. Look at the way I talk to my, my employees. Look at the way I talk to my boss. Look at the way I talk about my spouse, how I treat her. How do I handle a bad call at a game? That's a hard one. <laughs> don't look at me there yet. I'm not there yet. My goal is to not get a yellow card this fall. Okay, that's my goal. How do I drive? Another one that's for you guys, some of you hard. Right? Look at, he's saying, look at us. How do I handle disappointment? How do I handle victory? How do I handle when people talk smack about me? How do I handle when I'm treated unfairly? Look at us. How credible is your life? And the point is this. Don't go quoting Bible verses to people if you got nothing to show them. Because they don't care. Peter says, keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles so that in the thing in which you are slandered, they may, because of your good deeds, glorify God in the day of visitation. And he is talking about Nero. All right, okay. Nero is bad. Nero is Tom Landry. He's a Christian, so he's in heaven, but he was a bad man when he was a Dallas killer. All right, that's how we're supposed to be. Christians are not supposed to be weird. They're not supposed to be odd. They are supposed to be superlative, excellent, the best employees, the best neighbors, the best bosses, the best anything, coaches. Why? Because we have the king as our master, and we are doing all things for his glory. That's what we're striving. That's how we live with excellence, Right? Because we trust him, because he is sovereign. And the last thing is this, is be together. Be together. You're not supposed to be alone. And we've told you this, like I've been beating this drum for 10 years, and I'm going to keep beating it. Why? Because the scripture beats it. We, we, we talk about what are we about? We equip people for God's glory. CBC, this is our mission statement. We equip people for God's glory to follow Christ. How? Through community and through the Bible. That's in our name. The two ways in which we equip, community and Bible. Guess what? Guess what Daniel has both of? Community and Bible. He's got his law, which he is adhering to, and he's got his buddies, which they walk together with. All right? And he is faithful. And if you don't have that, you are only half the way, up. you are only being half equipped at what you could be. That's it. You don't care how long your quiet time is. If you don't have brothers and sisters to, that are going to walk through the fire with you, who are going to pray for you, who are going to counsel you, who are not going to tell you just what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. If you don't have that, then you are not being equipped like you could be. And when the pressure comes and the hostility comes, you are going to crumble. That's why I'm telling you, young, young folks, when you go to college, you ought to, first week, you ought to be, you ought to, before you get there, you ought to be looking for online for churches. You ought to find out people from this church that have already gone off to, you know, Kennesaw or wherever else and know where they're going to church so that you don't have to spend time doing it. You ought to be looking for RUF and crew and all these places where other believers are going to gather before the first week because you're going to get invited to 20 parties in the first week, I can promise you. So you better find those people who are going to walk with you. And this is for every season of life. Middle school students, high school students. This is why we get the high school students and the middle school students gather so that you can know some other people. Young adults, singles, young married, young parents, 
Grandparents, you need people to walk with you. And this is why we do community groups. And look, community groups are not the end-all, be-all of all things, but it gives you a chance to meet people who love Jesus, who live close to you. That's what they do. And this is why we're doubling down, and this is why we're starting new ones and trying to throw you into these people that you may not know that you can do life together so that when you get sick or you're struggling, you have someone who is there. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to be in the hospital or you're going to have lost your grandma and you're going to be sad because no one called you and no one brought you meals and no one called you and no one brought you meals because no one knows you. And you're just going to get mad and bitter and leave our church and go to this church and tell them how wicked and evil we are. And we are wicked and evil. That's why we need a savior. But it's all really on you because you never pursued to know anybody. It's, that's, and, that's, and it's just important. If you're only getting Bible, you're only getting half equipped. You need community. And if you get it through other areas, great. But we facilitate community groups so you can know some people, right? And if you're interested, most of them are kind of down for the summer, but we are going to launch, and some of them are still meeting for the summer. So call us. All right, I've preached enough. It's time to worship. But here's the deal. You live in Dallas. God wants you to live well. He's empowered you to live well. It starts with trusting him. And this is a God who knows what we are going through. Because ultimately, just like Daniel, Jesus was ripped out of his home. And he came and lived here. And he was rejected and he was opposed, just like Daniel. And ultimately, he was crushed and killed and resurrected and exalted to the second highest position on the right hand of the Father, just like Daniel. I mean, Daniel's just kind of a picture of what's happened to Jesus. And he says, now, you can do it. I did it. You are exiles. You are strangers. Your citizenship is not here. So let's start trusting the sovereignty of God. Let's be excellent and civil and committed and together. All right? And let's sing and worship. We're going to celebrate some baptisms and uh, rejoice with those who have come. But let's first sing a couple songs and pray. Let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, I pray uh, as your church, as we are called to be here and called to live here, that you would empower us by your spirit, that you have given us through the, through the, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. We now can be filled with his spirit. We have strength and power and guidance and wisdom to live well. And, and I just pray we would. Um, maybe someone here just needs to... to to resolve, to stop this hidden sin that they've been just dealing with, that someone needs to um, act in a way that is excellent instead of being lazy. Uh, Whatever is is appropriate, Lord, they need to seek community. They need to trust you in a hard place. Whatever is appropriate, Lord, uh, just let us respond now in doing that. Um, And then let us celebrate with those who have come. For Christ's namesake, I pray. Amen. You guys stand.